first service, Jim and I had to work out the complicated issues with this clicker. And it wasn't until afterward that he, come, he came up and he said, you know, Jason, did you test it to make sure it was on? And it wasn't. And so he had to, like, guess, like, when I was doing it. And he did a great job. Thanks, Jim. That was awesome. And then just your deaf technical skills to turn the switch to on. Like, I've been doing this for years, and still, like, those little things trip me up. But, uh, anyways, you guys get the benefit of being the second service of working out all the kinks. Um, but if you remember some who were here last week, that last week we began talking about this short series on how Jesus restores us. And last week we watched Jesus in his amazing grace, how he healed a person with leprosy, restoring that man to life, restoring him to community, and in a way, restoring him back to God. Uh, he didn't realize, uh, or he may have thought that because of his leprosy, because he was unable to go to the temple or even go to synagogue, or people probably told him that it was maybe because of sin, he probably began thinking that he was separated from God. Well, Jesus began, Jesus healed him and began to show him that he wasn't. This week we see Jesus healing again. We see Jesus restoring again. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus is pulling back the curtain. Well, watch as he pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of who he really is. Now, I love these stories of Jesus. I love to watch his interactions with people, his compassion, his power to heal, his passion to restore. It gets me wondering, what will I realize about him as I look at this story again this morning? What will I realize, or what will Jesus show me about himself this week? Now, maybe some of you are already asking this question. You have read these stories enough to know that even at very least, he's going to remind you of amazing truths about who he is. Or, as you also know, that there's a lot of times when you'll be reading a story, maybe a story you've read 20 times before, and then you'll read it again and something will pop out and you'll make this new realization about who God is. And then there's these times, these amazing times, when the Holy Spirit helps us see something new that isn't just like, oh, wow, that's nice, but actually changes how we think about ourselves or about God, helps us realize in new and profound ways and changes the course of our life. That we come this morning asking this question, Jesus, what will you show us about yourself this week? Jesus, how might you even restore me as we hear this story again? But before we get into it, let's pray that God's Holy Spirit would guide us and give us understanding, help us to hear this story about Jesus. So if you would pray with me. Lord God, we praise you and we also ask for your help. Lord, as we study your word, Lord Jesus, as we hear this story about you, we pray that your spirit would guide us, give us understanding. Lord, I pray that for us, even this morning, that this would be one of those moments when we make a new realization about who you are and how you have worked in our lives. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so we're going to begin here uh, with this story. Uh, it comes from uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. If you want to open your Bibles or go to your phone to Luke chapter 5. It says here, it begins, it says, One day he, uh, Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, this is the first mention of religious leaders in Luke's gospel. Jesus has gained the attention of the religious establishment. They're coming to check him out, to see what he's teaching, to see if it fits with their teaching. Now, the first group that he mentioned here are the Pharisees. Now, this was a group of teachers. Uh, they were kind of like the grassroots teachers. But their sort of claim to fame was being really strict. 
And part of that maybe was part of their personality, but it was also some of it was their theology, that they believed that if they could get the whole nation of Israel to faithfully observe Torah, to observe at least one Sabbath, they could sort of encourage the Messiah, the Savior, to come. And so they became very dogmatic, very concerned about everybody following the rules all the time, especially on Sabbath. And so you can imagine if you were sick or if you had a disease or if you had sin in your life or things that you felt or even things that just weren't right or they thought were wrong, that these sort of people, like the Pharisees, it was hard to fit in with them. And so many of the common people didn't have, uh, they had a high view of them, though they weren't real fond of the Pharisees. Now, not only that, there's also these teachers of the law. These are like the theological parliamentarians of Jesus' day. These are the people who make sure that you followed all the, the, the rules and that you crossed all the T's and dotted the I's. These are the people who um, would look and see, like, so this is what the law says. This is what we can do. Here's how far we can push the envelope. You can go this far, but not that far. That was their job. It's sort of like, I think, like, kind of like the lawyers of our day. We have the law, and then we have lawyers who try and work out how do you interpret that. How far can you go before you're in trouble? That was the job of the teachers of the law. Now, the next one here, it says that they came from Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. That means they're coming from all over. These are local religious leaders. There's some from the province of Judea. But then there's also some from Jerusalem, which is like the capital city. These are the highest, uh, some of the most influential teachers are gathering around Jesus, wanting to see what he's teaching, wanting to figure out who this guy is. So you have all these religious teachers coming. And then Luke tells us this, and he says, And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, you've got all these religious leaders, some who think of the very important in their own minds, gathering to see who Jesus is, and you have the power of the Lord to heal people. I'm thinking, you know, what could go wrong, right? What could possibly happen here? This is a powder keg ready to go off. So, it says here that some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, these guys have tenacious faith. They are so convinced of Jesus' power that they are going to do what it takes to get their friend in front of him. They are convinced of his ability to heal. Now, this is a perfect example of faithfulness. And you see, I, I, I wish we would have watched the children's story in the, in the earlier service. The earlier service, there aren't many kids, so we don't usually show it there. But in, this, in the video, I don't know if you caught it, when they get to the crowd, and if you remember the video, his friends are carrying him. Even the guy on the mat, he said, oh, well, like, that he's thinking like, oh, I guess that's it. And sometimes as Christians, we have, we have a lack of faith like this where we think to ourselves, you know, I'm going to pray. It's probably not going to change anything, but I'll do it because I'm supposed to. And we have this lack of faith. Or, we can, like, if you imagine if his friends, like this guy, if they got to the house and it was so full they couldn't get in, they just said, well, we tried. I guess we'll try again some other time, try and catch Jesus. And we as Christians can sometimes approach God with this lack of faith or approach prayer with this lack of faith. Now, as much as, that's, as much as that's a problem, some people go too far the other direction. And they become almost like belligerent in getting their blessings from God, so to speak. 
It's almost like they're going to pry it from God's hand. I'm going to name it and claim it and take it from God. And, you know, I think I've always had trouble with that because, you know, we're talking about the Lord God of all creation. And for us to, to take things from God just seems troubling to me. So, these guys show us a great example. They are undeterred in their pursuit of Jesus. And at the same time, they still leave it up to Jesus to make up his mind. These guys are tenacious. I mean, they, they get to the house and it's filled. They can't get in. And so they make their way to the roof. Now, in those days, the roofs were usually flat. And they dig their way into it. Can you imagine what it would be like gathered around Jesus as he's teaching? And all of a sudden, you start to see pieces of the ceiling. And then big pieces, chunks falling in as they're trying to lower this man in. And you can see that these guys are so tenacious in their faith that they get their friend, or this man, I don't even know if it's their friend, in front of Jesus. And then it's up to Jesus to make his up his mind, to decide what to do about this man. Here's what Jesus says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, first, Jesus sees their faith. And in the Greek, this word is pistis, which um, is this idea. Actually, it can mean a couple different things. One of them uh, can be faith in terms of belief, in terms of believing or trusting in God. But it can also mean faithfulness, which is the action that comes out of our faith. And I was thinking about this somehow. You know, I don't know if Jesus is rewarding their faith so much as he is rewarding their faithfulness their demonstration of their faith. I thought about this. This is something I was wrestling with this week because I was thinking about, you know, I, sometimes I talk with people or hear people say, like, you know, I just need to have more faith. I don't know how we, quote-unquote, have more faith. Faith is usually something that we feel, whereas faithfulness is something that we do. And I was talking with uh, one of the guys in the service, Bill, Bill Hansel, in the service afterward, uh, just early this morning, and we were talking some about it, how... You know, if we're honest, most of us have these times when our faith, when our, our faith, our belief in Jesus feels really high. Like, man, it just, I feel so faithful. I feel, I feel so much faith, so much trust in Him. And then there's other times in our life when I'm like, man, I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel the same faith that I did a while back. The thing is, our faith can kind of do this, but our faithfulness can always be constant. Our faithfulness. So if we're saying like, man, I feel so faithful and I'm going to do all these great things, great. And then there's times when we think to ourselves, I don't know, God, like my heart doesn't seem right, but I'm going to keep doing these faithful things. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's about he sees these friends and their faithfulness. Their faith works out in bringing their friend to the roof and lowering him down. But these guys have amazing faithfulness which, when you think about it, actually reveals their faith at the same time. Okay, so Jesus is talking about their faith, but then he also says this. He has this, this got me asking this real question of, why is Jesus forgetting sins here? I mean, we've heard about this whole story leading up to this point. This guy is paralyzed. That's his problem. Why is Jesus forgiving sins? Now, there's truth in this in that all of us need forgiveness for sin. That is a human issue, a universal issue. But sometimes there's also a connection between illness and sin. I was thinking about, you know, drunkenness, for example, is a sin in Scripture. Because all sorts of problems come out of drunkenness. All sorts of things that happen, things that we say or do. Another thing, too, is like 
uh, liver damage comes from alcoholism, for example, and how that is a, is a consequence that comes from that sin of drunkenness. And so sometimes there is a connection between sin and diseases or, or um, illnesses. But it's not always a one-to-one correlation. It's not always that way. I was reminded this week as I was reading through the commentaries about this story, about how in John chapter 9, when Jesus and his disciples come across a man who was born blind. And in their day, the assumption was, if you have something wrong with you, like a disease or an illness, it's because you sinned and this is your punishment. And so his disciples, working with that basic assumption, say, Jesus, when they saw this man born blind, they said, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents, why was he born this way? Who sinned? And Jesus said, that you've missed it. That's not the question that we should be asking. It's, it's not who sinned, but it's not because someone sinned, but rather so the, the amazing glory of God could be demonstrated in his healing. And so we can't always make this assumption that because someone has a disease or an illness or something wrong, that it was because of their sin. Now, Sometimes it's also just because we live in a fallen world. That there is sin generally in this world. That we have fallen, that, that Adam, Eve, original sin, all of this, caused this world not to work the way that it's supposed to. And so sometimes things just don't work. But it could also be that Jesus sees a deeper issue with this guy. And I think this is maybe the part where I rest, or the, the place where I think is happening here. That beyond physical paralysis, Jesus is seeing a deformed soul. That this man needs more than just a healing of his body. He needs a healing of his heart. That this man needs spiritual healing as well as physical. So, Jesus says all of this, your sins are forgiven, and the religious leaders freak out. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, just merely thinking it, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They are livid. How dare this man claim to do what only God can do? Ironically, when you think about it, their question cuts both ways. See, they think that they're cutting Jesus down. They're asking like a rhetorical question where the answer is assumed that this guy is a blasphemer, a false teacher because he's doing what God can't do. But ironically, they just confirmed who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. If only God can forgive sin, and Jesus is here forgiving sin, then what does that say about who Jesus is? thing is, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, or to read people's hearts, (laughs) for that matter? Now, Jesus makes this point, um, yeah, sorry, Jesus meant easier to say, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what does he mean by this saying? This is a Hebrew saying, which is easier. Now, it could mean that Jesus is trying to say, you know, which is easier to say but harder to prove. Because in this case, you can say your sins are forgiven, but it's hard to prove whether that's happened or not. You know, because that's something that between a person and God. But it is actually very easy to prove. If you say, get up your mat and walk, and the person stays paralyzed, that's very easy to prove. So in that sense, it's sort of harder to do. I'm not sure if that's what Jesus is saying here. I think what actually Jesus means is that both are the realm of God. Both forgiving sin and healing people, those are the things that God does. And so by doing one, 
Jesus shows that he has the power to do both. I think that this is the one because of what, I think this is what is happening here because of what Jesus says next. He says this, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns and he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. Jesus puts the two together. He's trying to say, so that you will understand that he, so that you can trust him to heal and to forgive sin, he's going to heal this man who is paralyzed. It says here, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Jesus makes this point glaringly obvious. While the religious leaders are splitting theological hairs about who is able to forgive who and about how God forgives, Jesus shows us who he really is. If Jesus can heal paralyzed people, and if that's just as hard as forgiving people for their sin, oh, and by the way, only God forgives sin, and Jesus demonstrates that he can do both, who must Jesus be? Who are we dealing with here in this story? Jesus gives us a hint. It says here, the Son of Man. This is actually a quote from the book of Daniel, from the prophet Daniel. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It reads like this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This son of man, as Daniel saw in his vision, is this ruler whom God would send. And the people began waiting for this son of man to come, this ruler, this savior. That this Son of Man is this, he is this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the Savior. And Jesus, by referring to himself as the Son of Man, is gathering up all of that history about the Son of Man and applying it to himself, trying to help us see who he is. Trying to help us see that he is the Savior. Now, Jesus has done this, and afterward, it says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen re- remarkable things today. Everyone was amazed and praised God. Everyone, even including the religious leaders, everyone is saying, God, you've done amazing things. The only right response here is praise. I mean, imagine that. Seeing a guy who is chipped away through the ceiling of this, of this church drop down here in front and we saw Jesus heal him. I mean, that would be an amazing celebration. We'd be praising God for who he is and for what he's done. So, when we think about that some this morning, first we realize that Jesus heals. That he heals, he healed the, le- the leper last week. He healed a paralyzed man this morning. Jesus restores people. God keeps restoring us. Giving, restoring us to life, like whether you are paralyzed or a leper, to life more full. Restoring us to community. In the ancient world, having these diseases or these conditions would separate you from people. They would ostracize you. And now, because they no longer have these issues, they are welcomed back into community. Not only that, these, these um, issues, these diseases would keep them from, from getting into the temple. 
from being involved in the synagogue, they begin to get the implication that they did not fit with God. And now Jesus has healed them and brought them back to God to show that their, their disease did not keep them from God. Not only that, not only does Jesus heal, but he also forgives sin. Now this is huge. And this is one that is, until you've experienced this yourself, it's hard to explain how significant this is. That God restores our heart back to new life, to live life fullest sense. No longer do we have to carry around the weights of things that have gone wrong in our lives. Or the shame of things that we've done that we regret that we wish we could go back and change. We can set down all of those things and receive forgiveness. These amazing words of God saying, you are forgiven. Your worst moments don't define your life. You are forgiven. This is grace. Forgiveness is a life changer. It is a sort of thing that takes you from one course of shame, of brokenness, and puts you on a new path of life more full, life forever with God. So Jesus has done these two amazing things. He has healed and forgiven sin. But as we read this story closely, we realize also this, that he has shown us that he is the Savior. That because he does these things, because he heals and because he saves, that he is the Son of God, this Son of Man, who is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the one we've been waiting for, the one who says these things, who says your sins are forgiven and we can trust that it is true because of who he is. This is the amazing news this morning. Jesus shows up and does this story. He, does this, he shows up with this man, heals him, forgives him, and then demonstrates who he is for us. We too, this morning, realize that we too can be healed. We too are forgiven through him because he is the Savior. Amen.